0: as a material scientist over the years, I struggled to define myself. We are not physicists, we're not chemists, and we're not biologists. So who are we, right? And at the end of the day, I find that it doesn't matter anymore, right? And you can work on energy research, you can on biomedical research, you can work on coding materials. So don't limit yourself. I find it's a wonderful journey, actually, And uh, it's very different from what I imagined.
1: Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the It's Material World podcast. I'm your co-host, Puneet. And joining me today is David. What's new in your
2: world, David? Yeah, I'm about to start a new job soon. So just getting ready. It'll be with Tesla in California. So Ooh. I'm about to move out and move across the country. So everything <laughs> ready and very excited. But yeah, I start that very soon. So that's what's up. Nice. You got everything situated
1: in terms of getting everything transported to California, getting the apartment ready and everything?
2: Uh, more or less. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's just going to be a bunch of suitcases, but it's been quite the challenge getting everything ready. And so if anybody else moving across the country, I sympathize with you as I'm subleasing an apartment, but it took like a month and a half to do it. So I started in November, but I think I just got my lease like a week ago. So,
1: oh my God,
2: you <laughs> really down the wire though. Like I started like quite a long time ago. So I I so it's quite stressful but I think everything's in place if not I'll make it happen it'll be <laughs> fine just be difficult
1: You'll be living living off the streets for a little bit while the apartment gets set up
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah I have to go to a hotel or something yeah it'll, it'll, it'll be fine yeah. I'll, I'll get it done <laughs> <laughs> Yeah my
1: my life has not been nearly as hectic or stressful. I've got my home situation figured out, not moving, uh, not moving this semester. But yeah, I think for, for this episode, we really dove into a new concept or a concept that was at least new to me called Janus particles. And basically, you know, it's different from homogenous chemistries where it's like a two-sided nature. um, And Janus is, I believe like a two-faced God. And so, inherently has different properties based on like the side of the particle, if I'm understanding correctly. And that's why there's a lot of potential. The the market isn't quite set for Janus particles, but there are a lot of different potential applications. And so it's a super interesting, fascinating episode that where we dive into. But I just wanted to see if you had any favorite tidbits from the episode that you want our listeners to look out for.
2: Yeah, I think there's a few things that really stood out to me. I think the first thing is that our guest, Sean Jiang, almost a very realist professor. And so he was very honest about how he's taking his approach to his startup, which does Janus Particles and kind of what it takes to scale a new technology. And I think a lot of ways it's like he was saying is like, oh, I want to like cure cancer immediately. And like, this can help, but really like There's a lot of regulations, there's a lot of issues, and like to prove that it's even like should be considered, you will have to take a much less like exciting approach. And so his first application would finish. And so I think that it just shows that the technology is still there and it's still building upon itself, but you have to take a lot of stepping stones to get to where you want to in the end. And so his goal is very real where just continue to build upon his success. And so I really enjoyed that. The other parts is just he goes into detail about his advice as someone who has jumped back and forth from academia to industry And so I think that a lot of people consider which route to go through at the end of their college experience. And so I think it's really interesting to hear from a man who's done both. And he basically says that you can do both and it just takes self-belief and persistence to get through it. Mm -hmm. And then my last thing that I really enjoyed was you have to stay till the end. Pradeeth makes a great joke about VOCs. And so so you have to wait till the end to understand what a VOC is and why uh, Pradeeth's joke was funny.
1: <laughs> You're stealing all of my thunder. I think. I'm sorry. <laughs> you just chose three of them, um, but no, no, I I totally agree. I thought just to add on to what you said, he had this combination of an industry and academic academic focused background, and he talks about how his industry background applies to his current academic research, as well as you know the company that that's in the works, right? And so that is how this natural product market fit is coming to fruition is based on his coding background, right? And so that's how he has found this, I guess, intersection between Janus particles and a potential application like coatings. And I agree that I think that you can dream big, but you have to hit the stepping stones to get there. And that's exactly what he's doing. There's potential applications in drug delivery, in concrete, and prolonging the shelf life of various products. And so he just mentioned that for example, with drug delivery, that is a long, long process to get everything approved. It's a lot of regulations, believe me, I know being in the medical device industry. Um, And so it's just really cool to see him explain what exactly Janus particles are, you know, how is it made? What are the processing challenges and be very real about the the timeline of it and what needs to be done to overcome those challenges. So there's really a lot to look forward to here. And my favorite part of the episode was honestly the end. He shared a lot of great advice, also very motivational and inspirational. So for, for students in particular, but any listener will really enjoy the tidbits of advice that he shared at the end. So Is there anything you want to add before we get into the episode? Just stay till the end for the joke. (laughs) Sounds good. All right, let's get
2: into it. Meta Material Inc. is a developer of high performance functional materials and nanocomposites. Meta delivers previously unachievable performance across a range of applications by inventing, designing, developing, and manufacturing sustainable, highly functional materials. Meta is a fast-growing company with a positive and committed work culture and a phenomenally talented workforce. Our employees are inspired to do exceptional and innovative work and are proud to contribute to the success of the company, and they are our greatest asset. Meta attracts people from all countries and cultures, with over 35 spoken languages represented across all our teams. Meta believes that diversity drives creativity and innovation. With locations in Canada, the United States, the UK, and Greece, Meta is growing and is looking for new, talented people to join the team. If you're passionate about doing your best work, making a difference, and having fun while doing it, apply to one of our open positions at metamaterial.com careers. All right. Hello, everyone. For today's episode, we are very excited to welcome Dr. Shan Jiang. Since earning his PhD from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, is in a postdoc at MIT and then has worked at the Dow Chemical Company as a project leader and scientist. He's currently a tenured professor at Iowa State University, where he's involved with many research projects, teaching and innovation. Thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so from your LinkedIn profile, it looks like you've been involved with Janus particles since your PhD. And so I don't really have a lot of experience with Janus particles. So I was just wondering if you could tell us more about what that is and how it's different from normal chemistries.
0: Sure. And I probably can give you a very concise version of the definition, but it's a very long story. And uh, um, so Let me first give you some description about what Janus particle is. And uh, uh, we usually deal with homogeneous particle where the chemistry is the same for everywhere on the surface of the particle. But for Janus particle, they usually have distinguished two different types of chemistries on the two sides of the particle. So Janus is the name of an ancient Roman god who has two faces looking to the past, looking to the future. So Janus particle... Uh, the name Janus used to describe these specialized particles. And I also want to mention that the name was uh, first raised by P.J. DeGene, who got Nobel Prize uh, for polymer uh, physics and also liquid crystal study. And De Gens, uh is my advisor's advisor. And actually, that's how my advisor learned the Janus particle concept.
1: Cool. So I was just wondering then, from the like the two sided nature of it, how does that affect like the properties of the particle as a whole or, or the material? Then are there different properties based on like exposure to different sides? How does that work?
0: Very good question, and uh, actually that's a that's a very big question I have to say, and uh, that's what has been puzzling for the academic world for quite a while. And but let me walk back a little bit. Let's go back to De original concept, the Janus particles. He, as a giant and a pioneer in, uh, in the field, in the soft matter field, he actually has some really great inspirational uh, speculation about Janus particles. And when he raised the concept uh, in his soft matter article, he said that if you can make these particles two sides, like a surfactant molecule, which for example, one side is hydrophobic, the other side hydrophilic, they may go to the air-water interface and form a layer and he described that's a, a skin that can breathe because the particles will pack with each other. However, they will not pack 100%. There are always some uh, gaps between these particles. So there will be transportation through this film formed by the genus particles. That's his original description. And uh, that's one thing that you could start to imagine that these particles would have very different properties, at least compared with homogeneous particles. And you know the challenge is that uh, Dijun was a great thinker, but in reality, nobody know, knew how to actually make genus particles at his time. And actually, even after a decade, uh, he raised the concept. Nobody knew how to make high quality genus particles in large quantity. Even today, there's still a challenge for the academic world. We're still trying to make the perfect genus particles. And without uh, making the particle, being able to make the particles, and it's also very difficult for us to study the properties. And uh, I know that's not the perfect answer to your question, but I think that provides you the context to understand why it's so challenging to do research with Janus particles, because to make them by itself is not easy.
2: And if you could just really quickly, how are Janus particles made just briefly? Because like you said, if it's so difficult, what do we have today? And then what do you think it will look like in the future?
0: Correct. So that actually has been a major effort in my lab. And I'm among the very f- first few researchers start to tackle the problem. Uh, we invented several methods uh, throughout the years. And one easy method is by directional coding. If you lay down uh, one single layer of particles on a flat substrate, then you do directional coding. Whatever coating you do, you can do uh, gold or uh, oxide different materials onto the top layer of the particle surface and the particle will shadow themselves right so the bottom half will not be coated only top half will be coated so you can make a perfect 50 percent coverage genus particles and then you shake roots of these particles from substrate and then you can observe them on a the microscope if you choose a material that can block the light and you can see these particles actually show up a very nice uh, half dark, half bright look on the microscope. That's actually my PhD work. So to actually summarize what I did, I simply make Janus particles by this simple method and uh, look at how they uh, interact the uh, with each other on the microscope. And uh, we wrote many high quality papers from this research. I still feel surprised when I look back what I have done, because sometimes you feel that wonderful science paper would involve complicated instrumentation or a lot of hard try and error. But at the, in reality, the idea is so simple. You make a, a very high-quality particle and observe how they interact with each other. This goes back to Pani's original question, how they behave differently, right? So this is the first time we actually observe very clearly how they behave differently. And these particles interact with each other very differently. They are no longer isotropic, so they form very interesting structures, clusters, even some long micelle structures and worm-like structures we have never observed before. And that opens a lot of uh, interesting ideas and uh, potential new research. So that's the significance of the
1: genus particles. That's very fascinating. And before we get into like the potential applications, which I'm excited about, I just wanted to touch on your background and your career. So mm-hmm. like David mentioned in our introduction, you have experience in industry as well as academia, and that kind of diverts from what students envision as like one or the other career routes. you know, either I go into industry or I go into academia. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, how have you leveraged that unique combination of both in your material science career to make an impact in your fields of interest?
0: That's a very good question, and I often have that question from um, from my own students. Let me say that i I did not uh, design my career that way. okay, Like many of you, we initially trained in academia and we want to become a professor. We think that's the uh, ultimate, the best career we could have. And uh, I want to become a professor at a very young age. And I, I thought that's well-respected and I can do research I like. And that's the best way to utilize what I learned. And, but over the years, I changed my idea, especially after I went to industry. And uh, long story short, Uh, I I learned tremendously uh, in industry that I I would never be able to learn in academic settings. And most importantly, uh, it's the first time I learned how we transfer technology from bench site to the market side. And I have the first-hand experience about how really turn, convert uh, the innovation and discovery in the lab into a product. And that experience is so valuable for actually for my later career. So I still leverage my inspiration in industry in my current research work. And one thing I do find different is that in industry, you do have a very practical problem. You focus on the need from your customers, instead of focus on yourself. So on the other side, in academic settings, we usually focus on our own problem. And uh, I'm not saying the problem is easier, uh, but usually that comes from our um, intellectual curiosity. On the other side, uh, from industry, usually the problem comes from solving a practical issue for your customers. I cannot say that's an easy problem actually. So, but sometimes if we stay in academic settings for a long time, we usually dismiss those applied problems as easy or not worthy of intellectual uh, vigorous, right? But on the other side, to solve those industry problems, take tremendous understanding, fundamental understanding how things work. And uh, so I think I benefit from that. Look at my career. I was trained as a physical chemist. I was not even an applied scientist by training. As I mentioned to you, I observed these particles on the microscope without any crew how we can use it. And when we discussed with my advisor, Professor Steve Granick, when we were writing a paper, I asked him, I still vividly remember, I asked him, should we put on some application at the end? Maybe we should try, say this would be good for drug delivery or anything we could think of. And Professor Granick's response is, let's don't bother you, because we actually have no clue, right? So so at the end, and he's correct, the challenge for professors, researchers, only stayed in academia, they had no clue about industry problems. They had no clue what this could be useful. Maybe they heard something, but it really takes experience and solid work in industry to, to gain that uh, perspective. So I was fortunate to have that. And I brought that to back with me uh, to Iowa State. So that tremendously benefited me. I can tell you that my first project coming back to Iowa State is to make Janus particle again, but this time not by directional coding because by directional coding the particle can only you can only make milligram at most five six milligram one batch and it takes tremendous uh, time effort to make small quantity and expensive they have no chance to go into the industry and, and find any application so i actually took it as my task to invent a method that can make genus particle high quality genus particles in large quantity and uh, relatively uh, affordable. So my students, actually, one thing you can do in academia, one, uh, one thing it's better in industry is that you can tell your students anything. So things they are young, energetic, and innocent, I have to say. And I told my students, I described the rosy picture to them. If you work hard and focused and, uh, and, uh, and follow my instructions and uh, read literature, you You should be able to come with some way to make genus particle and as I described. So if we can make that that opens so much opportunities, of course, including myself, we did not know how difficult that is. Mm. So it took several students and many years and uh, for us to get there. But eventually we we found a method that can uh, scalably make genus particles with very high quality. So that actually became a patent technology and, uh, and also we started spinning spin off a company based on that research.
2: It's really interesting that You learned a lot from both sides and now together you're forging ahead. And so I'm really interested to hear more about the technology that you've invented and patented, but before there, Mm -hmm. maybe we could take a step back to the Mm -hmm. more technical level and maybe on the question of Janus particles, could you explain what particular materials are used in Janus particles? I know you Mm -hmm. said gold and oxides, but to make it mass scale and how do you ensure they have the proper chemistry uh, throughout the entire batch?
0: That's an excellent question. So obviously um, it depends on your application, right? So this is a chicken and egg problem. If you, if you know your application, then you know what to make. But before you know application and you don't know what to make, and on the other side, even you have a perfect application in the world, you don't know how to make the genus product for that, use the right material, then you still end with nowhere. So I think the academia and industry is still trying to figure out and that's why it's so important to have knowledge on both sides. And on the one hand, you can, if you search genus particles in the scientific database, you see thousands of papers every year. And sometimes I wonder what are these papers lead to at the end of the day, right? If you dig into the paper, there's another researcher find another way to make a genus particles, maybe make it a little better, or they find that they can make genus particles with this new material nobody has tried before. Then you ask the question, why do we need to do that in the first place? Is that making genus particles our goal or make them useful our goal, right? So going back to the question, you may argue that now, if you don't know how to make genus particles, then how do you know how to use them? Uh, I have to agree with that. The problem is that there's no universal method to make genus particles, for example, the method I described by directional coating. Use gold or inorganic material would be the best way to do that. And, but you can deposit on um, different particles, polymeric or silica oxides, and any particles you, you want to try. People have done that. However, on the other side, if your application is about using polymers, then that method would not work. If your application involves kilograms of quantity of genus particles, obviously the scale is impossible. Right. So you then have to find the proper method to make genus particles. What we have tried in our lab is uh, making genus particles these days using a method called emulsion polymerization, which actually has been used in coding industry, which I learned at Dow. So this method's advantage is it's scalable. It's very uh, relatively cheap because you have to industrialize it and commercialize the technology. So there are platforms you can just plug in once you establish a method to make the particles in large quantity. But this cannot give you some other properties that can be made by the uh, directional coding method. So it all depends on your application. There's no one fitting all solution. And that's a challenge, but also that's a fascinating part for this research. And you keep making new particles and searching for new directions of utilizing these particles. <music>
1: So I had a question there then with that process, is that limited to just like the polymer materials in terms of creating these Janus particles or what's kind of in scope there? And then I know you mentioned the chicken and the egg problem in terms of potential mm-hmm. applications, which I think we'll we'll get onto later. But for example, I guess I could see polymer as being used in, in drug delivery applications. So I was just wondering kind of what's in scope for, for your research lab in particular.
0: Right. So, you know, I had some drug delivery experience and I exactly know. So, of course, when you try to innovate, you put everything together, you find inspiration with your prior experience. And uh, I know how to make Janus particles. I did coating research. I did drug delivery research. But at the end, I picked the coating research as our application. And the reason is when I worked for the drug development, I started to realize there's so much constraint you have to go through with the drug development and compare with the coating industry. I'm not saying coating is easy. On the other side, the, the materials you can utilize for drug development is very, very limited. You, can, you need to test the safety and uh, degradation sometimes, and you have to decide which drug to use. At the end, you need to have a collaboration with a good clinician to go through the clinical trial. And after evaluating all these challenges, I decide coating materials may be the easy route. But by saying that, uh, I'm also thinking that if we devise some Genus particles for coding application, fully understand how they behave and how they diffuse, how they assemble, maybe some of knowledge I learned over there could be carried to uh, drug delivery research. And uh, you just have to pick the battle. I pick the coding material research battle for now. And but you have a very good question, and uh, these particles potentially could be utilized in many different areas. We just need more research on that.
1: Well then I guess my next question there would just be you mentioned your focus is on coatings, And so mm-hmm. what industry could that or are you envisioning that impact is made in? Because I know coatings can be present in aerospace, construction, et cetera.
0: Right. So when we talk about coatings, it's actually one interesting feature is it's everywhere, right? But it's also very different. The coatings we put on the wall is very different from the coating you put on, for example, l surface, because the requirement is different. Interior coating and exterior coating is different. That coating is different from floor coating. And so uh, what we are focusing on currently is architecture coating, interior wall coating. When I first started this idea, we thought it's very simple. You make some Janus particles we put on the surface, hope that it will become a good coating. Okay. And it turned out to be very bad coatings we made some really nice genus particles and we can make large quantity as i mentioned through our emulsion polymerization and uh, we're very thrilled because when we look at them under the uh, microscopy they show wonderful uh, morphology and they also show very interesting behavior when we study the assembly and uh, um, how they diffuse but when we just blindly apply to surface hoping they become a good coating and they turn out very, very so low quality coding. They don't hold up very well, and you easily you you can scrub on the surface, they, they disintegrate in no time. And when we start to examine the problem, it came to me very clearly: the genus particle, half of them is one property, the other half is another property. If you force them together, they don't like to stay with each other. makes sense and and they they fight with each other. So you build a coating out of it. They don't work that way. Coating needs a lot of integrity. And also, and uh, um, they have to come together from a very strong film. Genus particles, they don't like to do that. But suddenly it came to me is that maybe I was trying the wrong thing. Instead of trying to reinvent a new coating system with the genus particles, I should work with the current coating system because in coding coating industry, they have been optimized for these polymers for many years. And through my training at Dow, I learned that coating materials simply are particles, simple polymeric particles. These are fluffy particles, and they're very stable in the aqueous suspension, because nowadays we we change the solvent mostly to water. So there are many technologies developed to stabilize these polymeric particles in water by adding surfactant, dispersant, and design their different composition and also surface chemistry. And then when you dry the coating on the substrate, for example, you brush your paint on the wall, simply these water molecules evaporate away, leave the polymers behind. And these fluffy small polymer uh, spheres, they start to interact with each other, penetrate each other, and holding hands together. Eventually, they form very nice film. And the, the trick part is to design very delicate chemistry compositions so that this, they're stable, In the solution, but once they dry, they come together, form very nice fume. So imagine if you overstabilize them, they never hold hands with each other, the coating film probably will be bad. However, if they interact too strongly, they come down very quickly and it would be better for the coating performance, but it would be very bad for the stability. They may gel out before the customer even starts to use the coating, right? So this is a balance you have to do as RD scientists in the industry. And that leads to a very common challenge is that you have to add a little bit of solvent to help you. And those are called uh, Volatile Organic Compound, VOC. Without adding any VOC, your coating performance will never be good. They're either unstable or the film is too tacky, too soft. So people have to design polymer and then add solvent. The solvent can be 100, 200, that means 100 gram per liter voc and once you paint these put these coatings on the surface these voc come out actually they evaporate uh, to the environment cause pollution and there's a big industry push and also epa trying to regulate how much uh, voc we put in the paint it's a small quantity sounds like small quantity 100 gram per liter but imagine how many households are painting walls every day so it it will result a big pollution especially in california and uh, the Origin County I visited with last time had a smog situation. And then you can just uh, see the atom in the air. It's, it's hazy, right? That actually is exactly caused by the VOC. So they have very strict regulation on how much you can put in paint. And that gave you the challenge as an r and scientist in, in the coating industry, how you actually can come up with new material, lower the VOC as much as you can, but maintain the paint quality. And we thought about that, so how about we utilize that uh, material developed in the coding industry, instead of making a complete new coding with Janus particles, let's actually use Janus particles as an additive. Let's see what we can help, instead of reinvent the wheel, let's just try to assist to solve the problem. And to our surprise, by adding only 5% genus Janus particles, the coding becomes much more rigid without using any solvent. And we were surprised And initially what happened. Then we did a lot of fundamental work. We realized that Janus particles, we discover, actually we discovered a new phenomenon by doing that, mixing Janus particles with homogeneous particles. Janus particles, by some magic, they will just go to the interface by themselves. They don't like to mix with homogeneous particles. They want to go by themselves. And the only place they can go is that air water interface. So by adding even 5% of particles, you draw down the paint, Imagine that 5% particle, Janus particle, all go to interface and they start to orient with themselves. They orient with their hydrophobic or water-dislike water part to the air and with their water-like part to the uh, water. And we can design the surface differently. Remember, it's a Janus geometry. We can design the water-like part with adhesion and what dislike part with uh, water resistance and also other properties. So Janus particles provide a method for us to modify the surface property without completely changing the coating materials. And uh, that really is an aha moment for us. Is, uh, we tried very hard at the beginning to completely replace the old coating materials. We realized that we don't need to do that. We can keep using the commercialized coating materials, but add a little bit of Janus particle as additive. And since we, they all go to the surface, we're still trying, trying to understand why, but we take advantage of their behaviors to go into the surface, it would cause stratification. And then we can very precisely alter the surface properties without using any solvent molecules. Now you have the best of both worlds. You can make a very strong adhesion polymers down in the bulk, but then you can design very rigid and water resistant layer on the top, right? So without using any solvent again. So we think that this could have a big potential to help industry further lower down their pollution to the environment and it provides a very interesting approach to modify surface property. Imagine now you carry some function group like antiviral function group, antibacterial, antimicrobial function group. Then you make a, a self-cleaning surface. And if you put it on your wall or your doorknob and the people, you know, the COVID time, we always try to clean our hands five times a day, right? Imagine these areas, especially in the hospital, they're self-cleaning. There's no virus can survive on this surface. You create a much safer, better environment. So we're so excited about this new technology. We think there are many more we can discover. And so that's what we're trying very hard in the lab.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great story. And especially because from what I know is that making a slight tweak to what's already there is so much easier to implement mass scale than trying to completely reinvent it. I guess a question for you is, it makes sense that you're focusing on such a like distinct group, which is just coatings. Mm-hmm. In ten years, what other mm-hmm. applications do you think Janus particles could have on industry? Uh, like some from some of your papers, concrete, drug delivery, and some other things.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as a scientist, I I don't like to speculate too much. <laughs> so, but we always want to have a vision, right? So I would say that Janus particles can be applied to any place you're using colloids particles. They're everywhere. In the food, in the drug, in the petroleum industry, they were utilized to harvest oil. They were utilized for separation. And uh, I can imagine that genus particles can be useful in all these areas. And however, I think the danger is to scratch the surface. We just make some genus particle and force the application. And if it didn't work, we give up and move on, right? So I think the little success we achieved with coatings it's simply because I have a thorough understanding how coating materials work. And we tried initially, it did not work, but we did not give up. We're searching for new ideas, right? And, and fundamentally, you have to understand how things work together. And it takes a perseverance and knowledge to get there. And I believe that Janus Particles, in 10 years, I hope, it becomes a common commodity material instead of such a special material. Even for now, you still cannot buy it and we're still trying very hard to come up with the method to fully scale the production. And uh, as you mentioned, it is uh, much better, easier to utilize that as additive so that people would accept that technology easier. And uh, when you work with coding industry, you realize these coding people are not always stubborn. And I don't blame on them because you want to tweak anything, you want to change the pH slightly, you may ruin their product. Mm-hmm. Coding is a complicated system. Changing one element may not just change one property. It can change the whole properties. That's why even when i trying to pitch them the idea of genus particle, they're still skeptical. They don't know whether adding a small quantity additive will completely change their coding performance. In reality, it did. The genus particle really completely changed the surface properties. We're, we're just hoping that change is good for, for, the, for the codings. But we have to do try and error many times. So on the other side, I would say that that's what my hope for is that through coding material research, we demonstrate, the, we prove the concept that genus particles can be easily utilized for uh, coating applications. And with this first success, we can reach out to other areas that utilizing colloidal particles. You know, the milk we drink is colloidal proteins, right? And in drug delivery, there are a lot of lipids we use to protect the drug. You know, the recent advancement of mRNA vaccine, the core technology is using a lipid that can protect mRNA at high temperature, right? So if you think about these problems, they're seemingly unrelated, but actually they have all these connections about the colloidal science, particle science. And that's exactly what I trained for. And I like to utilize my knowledge to keep pushing the technology. And I hope that genus particles become a common tool for people and they're easily available, very affordable. So any researchers have a new idea they want to try and they can test them out. For example, in drug delivery field, people utilize these um, lipids and in the cosmetic industry, in many other industries, people utilize surfactant, dispersant. I'm hoping Janus particles become another candidate when you think about improving your research, improving product, not just to think about small molecules, but now genus particles available. You can buy some genus particles, try and put it in your formulation, see how that improves. So that's my hope that it becomes a readily available tools product for the industry instead of a fancy concept in the Genes paper 20, 30 years ago. So that's my hope. I cannot promise it will be a huge hit on the market, or Mm -hmm. I don't even know how successful my company would be. And also to make a lot of money is not my goal, to be honest with you. And I feel very proud at this stage, even though we only see limited success, that I can take over the genes concept and take advantage of my blended background in both industry and academia and develop something that we never had before. And also, hopefully, we can eventually come up with a product that can generate tangible impact in our everyday life. And that's probably my dream also.
2: Yeah, no, that's just an amazing dream. And so I guess our next question is you kind of segue perfectly into it is that that's your goal. And so to achieve that, what are the main like blocking steps? What do you need to overcome in your technology or maybe market adaptation for your goal to succeed?
0: I think because my blended background, and I do have a different perspective about how you can uh, translate the technology to market. First of all, I have to emphasize, technology-wise, we do have a lot of work to do. It's not simple or easy. And uh, I like to have an even more fundamental understanding. As I mentioned, this unique behavior of genus particles all go to the interface very quickly in, in a dynamics we never ob- observed before. We don't understand. I'm trying to work with simulation scientists and we work with a colloidal physicist, trying to understand what's going on. So that's a collaborative work is going on. We're trying to write a grant proposals and secure more funding to do that. On the other side, I have to say that doing a great job in academic research may not be enough in this case. So um, that's why I mentioned about the startup company. And I have a very different philosophy about a startup company and uh, many entrepreneurs they have a big dream to make a lot of money and to be successful i don't want to be sound arrogant saying that i don't want that of course you want being successful however the major driving force for me to start a company is to help train my students and help to reach to the market and uh, this is a wonderful vehicle for us to commercialize the technology developed in the lab not just about uh, making a lot of money but also trying to see whether we can further push in the technology to the market. And I learned tremendously, and I have to praise Iowa State in this case that and Iowa State has a very a wonderful ecosystem for us to carry out the research in in a, in a more industry settings. And they provide us resource and also even space and to launch the business. and uh, And uh, it takes not just the technology to get there, but also takes teamwork also received a very generous help, especially from ISU uh, alum and one of the ICU uh, alumni uh, who is a successful entrepreneur himself and don- um, very selfishly donated his time and the guide the company through many different development stage. And we're also lucky uh, to find a local collaborator. So we now work very closely with uh, a coding company original coding company Diamond Vogel to commercialize the technology because coding uh, is a complicated industry. So there, there's no way you can just do it by yourself. So you really have to dive in the industry and uh, it takes tremendous power, financial power and, uh, and human resource to do that. So I often find myself now trying to balance my time between my academic research and also commercialization. However, on the other side, I think that as a scientist, we should not leave everything to the industry. So we should not think that it's a great technology. Once we find patent, someone will pick it up and develop into product. Sometimes maybe it's best to take things into your own hands and push through that first stage and show the proof of concept to minimum viable product. And once you demonstrate successfully to people, this is, can be really commercialized and then Other people may pay attention. So to push through that initial stage is difficult. And usually it's not being appreciated. But I think that researchers, scientists, uh, even in university can do a lot to work in that direction. It takes time, effort, and some luck. But I think it also broadens our horizon. And to me, the best return is to see my students start to take ownership. Because now, when they work on the startup, they realize all the skills the knowledge they learn in the lab is not something that only end up in the paper. Now they can leverage that to develop a product. Now they truly understand why we do certain things a certain way, right? Now they understand the fundamental interaction lead to the stability. And also the, all these chemistries we created, complicated chemistry, can lead to wonderful functionality to the coating materials. And they start to take ownership and develop their own ideas. So I find it's very fulfilling at the end and to see my, see my students grow in that regard.
1: I love that. And speaking of your students, I was just wondering if you had any advice for material science and engineering students that are looking to get involved in innovation. It's clear that your lab is very focused on innovation and all the, the challenges and aspects that come with it. But similar to starting a company, you know, starting like an on-campus club requires innovation and teamwork to certain extents. Do you have any advice on students who may not know exactly how to get started or how to get the resources they need, but they want to succeed in, you know, starting a company or starting an on-campus club or, or whatever?
0: I just can talk to my own experience. Sure. And uh, I think that we, we have a misconception that if we are the best technical person, then we develop the best technology. We have to be more open-minded. So the best technology may not lead to the best of product. Then you ask, what else can you do, right? I want to emphasize two things. First is people. You need the best of people to develop the best product. And it's not the technology, it's people who drive the technology. And the second, and it's just my personal opinion, it's the timing. And it's very important that you find the right product to work on the right time. It may not be the best technology, But if the product is much needed by the customers or by the industry, then that's a great product. Maybe you have to adapt what you learned towards that direction, instead of trying to just develop by your own. And uh, uh, I think um, that's why I think I encourage all the students, if you want to do entrepreneurship or innovation, it doesn't matter where you start. Maybe you can start with your own technology, but then it's important to be open-minded and you should look at what other people are doing and really talk to many different people, do a customer discovery, call them up and ask what do you want instead of trying to sell your own technology? If it turns out what they want is different from what you can do, it's fine to switch gear and make what they want. And at the end of the day, you're fulfilling a need. You bridge a gap. And trust me, what you learn in school, you may not use everything you learn in school, but many things, If you know how to pivot, apply, and they're super useful. So that's what I want to encourage our students to do. And uh, innovation is not just uh, your imagination. It takes a lot of imagination and takes a lot of creative work, but it's also hard work and your homework, background work, research. And uh, it's also about human interaction and understanding other people's needs is more important than just understanding your own technology. So that's what I learned And uh, our first product, you may be surprised, is not a wall coating, anything. It's actually a wood stain product. So you may wonder why Genesis Particle has anything with wood stain, right? You you talked about so many fantastic properties. Now you throw a wood stain there. The reason is simple because Diamond Vogel Vogel wants to innovate their wood stain. That's their need. And I'm not going to force my Genesis Particle concept on them because they have to find it's useful. On the other side, they came back to me saying, our wood stain needs to be improved. And we have been struggling for many, many years. We could not do it. Can you help us? And we find a way to help them. And actually we find genus particles really help their wood stain. And that, that's a happy ending. But I'm saying that you really have to look at what their problem is and find a way to bridge your knowledge, to apply your knowledge over. And that becomes super powerful when you equip, equip the knowledge of the fundamental science and you know exactly what the industry wants to solve what your customer need so bring them together so um that's my suggestion
1: yeah that's fantastic advice there's bad VOCs, like volatile organic compounds right but then there's good voc which is just voice of customer right and it's important to just <laughs> be able to hear that you know um and i, I think i love that <laughs> yeah i think we incorporated that into a similar extent with the podcast but also you know, at Georgia Tech with our material advantage club, where you're just hearing our peers in terms of, you know, what would they like to see more of? And that's kind of what sprung the idea of like a spring career fair, for example. So that's just an example of how it can be incorporated into an on-campus club, in addition to everything that you've talked about with starting a company. And so really love that advice and really excited about everything that you and your lab are working on. It's awesome to see, and I can't wait to see, to track its journey.
0: Thank you so much uh, for inviting me, David and uh, Puneet. And I I have to say that as a material scientist, over the years, I struggled to define myself. We are not physicists, we're not chemists, and uh, we're not biologists. So who are we, right? And at the end of the day, I find that it doesn't matter anymore, right? And you can work on energy research, you can on biomedical research, you can work on coding materials, so don't limit yourself. I find it's a wonderful journey actually. And uh, it's very different from what I imagined. I can tell you when I went to MIT, all I was thinking is about curing cancer, right? And to, to find a silver bullet to solve the hardest problem for the mankind. I never imagined after a few years, I was watching paint dry in the industry lab. Okay, and uh, a few years later, I was trying to make Janus particles again. So life is full of surprise. Sometimes you just have to go with it. And what's more important is that you have to keep being open-minded. And I think now I have a completely different concept and perspective about how to do research and what is good research. And uh, it's fine. We don't know at the beginning, but we just keep searching, right? That's why it's called research. You search, you do it again, research and do it again. So, and, and I really appreciate what you, you guys are doing here. I think it's important to encourage our students to go out there and don't be afraid. There are a lot of good questions to ask. Do, you, do I want to stay in academia or do I want to go industry? You can do both. You can actually go back and forth like what I did. That is fine. You just need to be persistent and believe in yourself and open-minded.
1: That's awesome. I can't add anything more to that. I love that advice. And again, thank you so much, Sean, for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there. I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.